Thanks, guys. Um, just as the kids are going out, uh, going to say, it's so great having Simon here. I love that Shannon mentioned the potted plant. We've had a lot of good laughs in the office this week. We speak the same language, and yet our words don't always mean the same thing. And sometimes we look and go, I don't think that means what you think it means. And it's a lot of fun. Um, my name's Alana. I'm one of the pastors here as well. I'm going to invite Mark Williams to come up. Mark and his wife, Sarah, are the amazing duo that lead our family experience ministry and we are going to come into the light with me mark all right thank you the people online want to see you today too we are here to do three-ish things uh for you today we've got uh, you know we use the term three really loose sometimes we're calling it three but it's easter and there's like four things in easter alone so i'm going to start with easter i'm going to turn it over to you and then we'll come back with one last thing and um All of these things that we talk about on Sunday mornings are available on our website if you check it out. And also, if you are on our website and you scroll all the way to the bottom, you can register for our Friday email newsletters, which includes all of this as well. So just a little plug for that. Great. This week is Holy Week, and we are kicking things off um, with a bang, starting tomorrow morning. Every morning this week, we are posting a five-minute devotional video as we uh, go through the Upper Room Discourse, so Jesus' last kind of hours before he's arrested with his disciples, and so various uh, staff, pastors and staff, are giving a five-minute devotional. So those are going to get emailed out if you're on our email list. They will be on social media. They're on the app. They're on the podcasts. They are everywhere. If you were with us through COVID, they're everywhere where all our daily videos were available. And if you have any questions, let me know. So that starts tomorrow morning. So watch for that every day and just journey with us through Holy Week. Good Friday. Uh, Again, just one last reminder, we are not having a service here at New Life. Instead, we're joining with the community service at the Christian Reformed Church. So that's coming up on Friday at 10 o'clock. They have lots of space. So please join us there on Good Friday. Um, for that for that service. And then Good Friday afternoon at 1 o'clock is the hike up Mount Zuhalem with Chuck Thompson. Uh, and you're going to go up and just have a few reflective stops along the way. And it's just a really good experience as well to reflect again on, um, on those things of to do with Good Friday. Uh, young adults, you're joining in with that walk. Um, and I think you've got a bit of a, a barbecue or a fire hot dog type situation separate from everybody else. Um, Good, that's Good Friday. Saturday, rest, have fun, enjoy your family. Sunday, we're here uh, starting 6.30. Is that what we're saying, Scott? Sunrise service, 6 a.m. Oh boy, why did I say yes to that? 6 a.m., excellent. We will be down at the Couch and Bay Marine Gateway Park doing baptisms for a sunrise service. Uh, Please join us for that if you can. It's just a really beautiful way to start Easter Sunday then we're coming here. As you've heard, we have two services, the 9 a.m., the 11 a.m. We're doing a pancake breakfast in between. So if you're coming to the 11, come early for breakfast. If you're here at the 9, stay late for breakfast. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Did I miss anything? I got it all right. Okay, good. That's Easter week, but we're making it go even longer. Yes, we're going to keep them going. We're excited on Monday. Family FX is going to host the movie Jesus Revolution. Here in Duncan, all right, and it's not just going to be a family FX event, whether you have lots of hair like my boy Seth, or you have gray hair like me, or not so much hair like, I won't say, but everybody is welcome. Whether you attend church here, you don't attend church, invite your neighbors and friends. Before I go over the details, we want to entice you with the trailer. 
I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. They need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. His house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. And your church, that's a door that's shut. Probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome. Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church. Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it. Don't you want to be there? Yes. Uh, so here it is. It is, I have to say though, the movie is rated PG-13. Uh, my daughter in uh, uh, grade uh, six went. I know my buddy, his daughter that was uh, nine went. So I want you to just decide as a family what's best. Um, but we're watching it Monday, 2 o'clock. That's April 10th, Easter Monday. And the show starts at 2 o'clock. Please be there. Doors open at 1.30. Cost is $15. That includes your movie ticket, a pop, and a popcorn. So please yes. invite everybody. Did I say that right? Yes. I was yes. That's a great deal. So be there. And like I said, invite neighbors, friends. If you go to church, don't go to church. Everybody's welcome. You're going to enjoy it. As my son said, said, we watched it as a family. He said, Dad, I thought that was, I knew that was going to be good, but that was awesome. So please come. That's great. Last thing for me, um, we have a lot of people in this room. We have a lot of birthdays throughout the year. We do not mention everyone, but when you turn 100, you get a mention. Uh, yes. So this week, you are invited to our dear George Brewster's 100th birthday party. Um, it is on Tuesday, April 4th. If you got the email this week and were a little confused, let me clarify. It is Tuesday, April 4th. Here at the church, uh, from 2 to 5 o'clock, please come celebrate George. Um, and uh, he does not want gifts. He just wants to enjoy your company. Come for cake, share a toast, share in the community, and just have a good time. So that's here Tuesday afternoon. That is everything for Three-ish Things. So I'm doing the scripture reading this morning. And it's from Luke 19, verses 28 to 44. I'm reading from the 
NIV. So, dear God, I pray that you would please bless the reading of your word this morning. So there's a heading for this passage, and it says, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, good morning, everybody. Okay, thank you. That's good. It's good to be here again. And thank you for, for the scripture being read this morning. I don't know if it's the same over in here. I know there's a lot of differences between the UK and, and uh, Canada. But in, in, in England, we, when we build a, a house or building, we um, plaster the walls. We put drywall on, drywall boards, but then we get this kind of plaster muck and we plaster all of the walls. Is that the same here? Did you do that yet? No. Okay. So then you plaster the, 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 the drywall and it's a right pain. It takes about a week to dry. So if you're doing a house, it takes, you've got to wait a week for it to dry before you can paint it. But it, it, it's really um, thirsty. So if you paint it, it, it'll just suck all of the, the water out of the paint and you're left with gloop. And so for many, many years, what I used to do is, and many, many, many people would dilute the paint. You'd put like 70% water in the paint, mix it up, and then you paint it on the, the plaster. 
and then you have to do another coat because it's got you've got like just milk on your wall, right? And it splashes everywhere, and you're covered with with paint. And then you go, you do another mix of of water, maybe it's forty percent water uh, to the paint, and then you paint it on the wall. And it just takes ages. It takes forever for it to dry and for it to, you know, to, uh, to paint on the walls. And then you've got to do a third mix, maybe it's 10% water to the paint. And then you could put your paint on. And it's a right job. It's a pain in the neck and nobody likes it. And you're covered in, in like milky paint and it just splashes everywhere. And then one day, somebody came to me and said, do you know what? You can buy plaster paint, paint that goes straight onto the wall one coat, it's called contract matte. And it's, it's vinyl free and it won't, you can put it on and it won't, you know, go gloopy. And I thought, I don't believe you. You know, I've been doing this for 20 years. You're having me on. Everybody does it. I've never heard of this ever in my life. And so I went to the shop and I said, do you, do you sell this paint? He said, yeah, we, we do. And so I took it home and I painted my wall and it saved me about three days worth of work and I got so excited, right? I was like, everybody I, I met, I was like, you never guess what I've discovered. You can buy paint that goes straight onto the wall. You don't have to dilute it. And I was getting so excited about white paint. And I would go about telling everybody wherever I was at work. You know, I'm, I'm in, the, in church telling people about this white paint. And do you know what? People would come up to me afterwards and say, Ooh, can you tell me more about this white paint? They were getting excited as well because they wanted to know what this white paint was about. They didn't want to dilute their paint anymore. And so all of a sudden, this was becoming a little bit, you know, uh, people were getting excited. People were getting excited about white paint. Crazy, right? This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage where people are getting excited about something which is way better than white paint. They're getting excited about Jesus Christ. And they start shouting out and they start praising him. And a little revolution of people started and it's been continuing ever since. In fact, there's a movie, right, out called The Jesus Revolution. It is not out in the UK or in Europe. I've been to see it and it was good. Uh, you know, don't take it for granted. You know, we don't have it over there. If it's available to you and you've not seen it, go and watch it. Uh, I went, I cried, I laughed, and then I got excited after the movie to go and to tell people about Jesus Christ wherever I was, whether I'm in Duncan talking to a stranger or whether I'm here with you. I got excited. Go and watch the movie if you can. Go and see Mark about that afterwards. But we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, turn them open to Luke 19. Your Bibles, bring your Bibles this morning. Christians around the world have been celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we kind of call it Palm Sunday because people were waving palms and putting it in front of the donkey as they were coming in. And those who greeted him were convinced that he was the Messiah, sent by God to establish his kingdom on earth. And yet what is interesting about this passage is that the crowds turned so quickly on him. One week they welcomed him into Jerusalem and the next week they demanded him to be crucified. But we now, this, this weekend, this, 
this weekend before Holy Week, we see that the time of Jesus is now for him to be crucified. His purpose, his mission on earth is at hand. John, in his passage, says, the hour has come for Jesus. John 12, 23 tells us, John 12, 23 says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then in verse 27, he says, now my heart is troubled because he knew what was coming. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? <laughs> no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The hour and the time for Christ to be crucified, for his mission to be fulfilled is now. And so, this Passover week that the Jewish people were celebrating is now. And Jesus comes. Jesus comes, it says in our passage this morning, he comes to Bethphage and Bethany. Bethphage means the house of unripe figs. What a name. And Bethany means the house of dates. And Jesus asks, he sends his disciples away to go and get a donkey. Go and fetch the donkey. Interestingly, I think this is the same time the disciples go to get the donkey. Jesus goes to Bethany. And I think it's the same time he meets with his friends. Bethany is that place of refuge, of safety for Jesus and his friends and his disciples. And it's that moment when the disciples are going to get the donkey that Mary anoints Jesus' feet. Bethany is that safe place, a community. And I think new life is the same for us today. It is a safe place. It's a place where we can come together. We can worship together. We can go to the cinema together. We can just enjoy life together. Is church that safe place for you? John tells us though, the very next day after he was anointed, Jesus goes into Jerusalem riding on this donkey. Imagine it. Imagine the crowds, the crowds who had been looking for Jesus when he rose Lazarus from the dead. The crowds who were looking for Jesus as he's just reclining at the table. The crowds who had heard of Jesus' miracles. They want to see him. They want to know him. And so as he's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, the crowds are waving and worshiping and crying out, I want to see this Jesus Christ, Hosanna. It would have been a busy time. You see that Passover week is, is, is coming, it's here. And the people, the pilgrims are coming from all over to come into Jerusalem, to the temple to worship God. People are excited. And people are excited to see Jesus. But not everybody understood what was going on. In Matthew's account of the triumphal entry, it says the whole city was stirred and asked who is this? Who is this man on a donkey that we're crying out? And I think it's interesting because in the Gospels, there are seven occasions where people ask the same question. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? Mark 4:41. We see that Jesus is calming the storm. There's a big storm. The disciples are in a boat. You know, these people are, are used to the, to the water 
and there's a big wind and the storm is going and the waves are being tossed around and these weathered sailors are fearing for their lives and they're worried and Jesus, he's asleep on the boat. So they wake him up. Jesus, don't you care what's going on? He says to the waves and to the sea, he rebukes it, stop, be still, and it, it's calm. And the disciples muttered to themselves, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Or we look in Luke 5, 21, where there was that man who uh, wasn't able to walk and the, his friends kind of broke into the roof. You know that story? And they lowered him down. And Jesus, he heals the man. And the scribes and the Pharisees get together and they say, who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who is this man? Or we look in Luke 9, 9, where Herod himself is walking around and he's hearing stories of Jesus. And he says, who is this about whom I hear such things? Who is this man? Who is Jesus Christ who has power over creation? Who has power over sickness? Who has the ability to forgive sins? Who attracts so much attention? Who is Jesus? Well, our passage this morning answers that question for us in Luke 19, verse 37 to 39. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Who is Jesus Christ? He is our savior. Who are the crowd singing to? Why was everybody getting all excited, waving palm leaves and laying their coats? as a sign of, you know, victory and triumph. Luke doesn't talk about palms, but John, John's account does. And the people sing, Hosanna. Different people had different reasons for crying out Hosanna, which literally means, God, save us. Save us. What are they being saved from? Psalm 100, it's, a, it's a, an echo from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says in there, Psalm 118, verse 25, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house of the Lord, we bless you. The people are crying out, God, save us. Save us from what? Some thought they wanted to be saved from the Roman the Roman Empire, right? What does that even mean? Well, the Romans weren't very respectful with the Jewish faith and religion. Rome is steadily growing in power. And there's a guy called Julius Caesar who takes, ambitiously takes control and the, the Rome is, is growing. And when he's assassinated, his um, Octavian, his adopted son, comes in power and he's the new ruler. And Octavian, uh, as the new Caesar, takes the title Augustus, which means majestic or worthy 
of honor. And one of the things he goes about doing is, is he declares that his father, uh, his adopted father, Julius, was divine. He was God. And so that means that Augustus, Octavian Caesar, is the son of God. And he's the divine, son of divine Julius. The Jewish people don't like this. The word went round the world quickly that Rome was gaining power. And who's in charge? The son of God is in charge. But after Augustus' death, he too was divinized. And his successor, Tiberius, took the same titles. And so you find this on a penny, the denarius there. And it says on that denarius, that penny there, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, Augustus. And on the back of the coin, there's a, a woman seated there. Now, we don't know who that woman is. It could be Tiberius's mum. It could be um, a goddess. But inscribed on that is Pontiff Maximum. So, or Pontifus Maximus, which is the high priest. And so on one side of the coin, Tiberius is saying he's the son of God, and on the back, he's the high priest. Blasphemy for the Jewish leaders. This coin was probably the coin that when the religious leaders said to, to Jesus in John, you know, who should we be paying our taxes to to try and trick him out? This is probably the coin, the denarius, that would have been used. Tiberius was in power for 20, 18, 20 years. This would have been in circulation. This is probably the coin that they were referring to. Who should we be giving our taxes to? Jesus says, give it to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. This is, this is bad. The, the people don't want the Roman emperor, the, the Caesar, the Roman people to be saying this. Blasphemy. They want their identity back. They want rid of Rome and what they're teaching. But those praising God for giving me a king had the wrong idea about what sort of king was going to be coming. They wanted him to be a national leader, right? To restore the power, to restore their control. But they were wrong. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, the true son of God, our great high priest, who will save us from our sins once and for all. And here we see Jesus Christ coming on a donkey. And Luke spends seven verses detailing the donkey. Seven verses talking about how the disciples are going to get the donkey and where the donkey will be and the response from somebody. He spends more time spending uh, looking at the donkey than it does about Jesus clearing the temple. So if Luke spends this much time looking at the donkey, it must be important. Why is Luke spending so much time talking about a donkey? Well, it's to fulfill something from the Old Testament. The people knew Jesus and who were praising Jesus for being the Messiah because they knew that he was intentionally fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9. 
Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy that was foretold over 500 years ago. And they knew that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem to save them. Not from the Romans, but from something far greater. You see, the context of this story is all about how Israel's king would come and free them and to liberate them. Here, Jesus is on a donkey, the true king, the true son of God, the true high priest, coming in humbly on a donkey. And everybody knew that Jesus Christ was the coming Messiah. That's why they're praising him. That's why they're singing, Hosanna, King Jesus, come and save us. For us today, we know that Jesus Christ comes to save us when we cry out, King Jesus, come and save me. He's coming to save us from our sins, not from the Romans. He's coming to save us from our sins. When we cry out, Jesus, save me. Save me from my sins. I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me for my past. I put my trust in you. We know that our eternity is secure, right? Do we know this? Amen. Thank you, Pierre. Amen. We know our eternity is secure, and we know that we have that indwelling life of Christ in us now today, transforming us, renewing us every day. How encouraging is that? They, pry, they, they, pry, they, they cried out, King Jesus, come and save us. Jesus is riding on a donkey, willingly to die on that cross so that our sins can be forgiven. Jesus Christ is our Savior. That's who Jesus is. And the second thing I want to look at is that if Jesus Christ is our Savior, then he is worthy of our worship. Verse 39 to 40, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones themselves would cry out. The people who shouted out to Jesus, the Messiah, who had witnessed Lazarus' return from the grave, who had heard the stories of him calming the storms, were shouting out. They had something exciting to be communicating that the Savior, the Messiah, was coming into town. They were... They had something better to communicate than how fantastic white paint is. They had the Messiah coming. What gets you excited in your lives today? Is it decorating? Is it Jesus Christ in your life? Does Jesus Christ get you excited? Does he get you excited? Does he get you excited in the morning when you wake up in the morning? Yes, I get an opportunity to spend time with Jesus today. We all get excited about something. Do we get excited about Jesus, about God, or even about the church and what the church is doing? New life. We get so excited that people actually believe that we love Jesus Christ. They can see something in us. They can see that contagious love that we have for God. And they say, I want some of that. I want what you have. 
my wife, she comes from Spain in Valencia. And Valencia has this big uh, aquarium. So we went, when my wife and I went, when we, before kids, we took, we went, we took ourselves to this aquarium and they got a big dolphin show. And, uh, you know, you probably get dolphins in the sea here, so it's not a big deal, but, you know, just pfft, dolphins, you know, get to see them every day. But we went to the dolphin show and had all these dolphins in this big, uh, big swimming pool. I had these dolphin trainers and my wife and I, we went and we were loving it. And these dolphins were like just swimming about and then the show starts and the dolphin trainers are in there in their wetsuits and they're jumping in the sea in the water with them. And the dolphins are doing all these tricks. You know, they might just jump out of the water and then, you know, grab a fish in the air and jump back in. We were like, yay, this is awesome. You know, and then the kind of shore gets bigger and better and they start jumping through hoops. And we're like, ooh, that's, that's, that was pretty impressive. And then they get a big soccer ball and they throw that in the water and the, the dolphins are playing soccer between them. And like, we're on our feet at this point, you know, clapping and cheering. And it was fantastic. I think, wow, them dolphins are pretty amazing. But I look around the dolphin show, the people who are serving the Coca-Cola in the, in the little stalls or sweeping up the, 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 the trash around the grounds or cutting the hedges, looking after the place, the staff aren't even interested in the show. And I'm thinking, this, this dolphin, I've paid money and it's amazing to see these dolphins. But then the workers aren't even bothered. They've seen the show every single day they go to work every day and they're, oh, I've seen it. You know, when you see the dolphin show two or three times, it becomes just a normal show, right? They've taken it for granted. This wonderful gift that they have, they've taken it for granted. And I wonder, is it the same for us in our lives? Can the same be said for us in God's awesomeness? Do we take God for granted? Do we take our relationship for Jesus for granted because we've been there, we've done it, we've been to church for a year, two years, five years, and we go through the motions? I take many things for granted. He woke up this morning and just rejoiced because we're breathing. I woke up this morning, you know, groaning, like, oh, because the dog was barking at the moon at 3 a.m., and I'm like, oh, I just want to go back to sleep. We live on such a beautiful island. And I drive around and I see all these mountains. You got Mount, you know, Provo and all these other mountains. And I'm driving about. Last night we went from Cobble Hill to Duncan. And I'm, there's a mountain range on my left-hand side. I think, wow. But then I think, well, how long will it be until it just becomes the, the scenery? so easy to take things for granted in our lives, to go through the motions. And it's so easy to become conditioned to our surroundings, right? It's the same with Christianity. So dangerous just to become conditioned about going through the motions, going to church and meeting with God. When we think of worship, what do we think of? When we think of Jesus Christ, the God, and Easter time, what do we think of? Right, you know, we just go through the motions. How do we feel inside or do we think, yes, Easter is coming. It's an opportunity for us to do, to worship God. Jesus is so worthy of our worship. 
Yet sometimes we just simply don't feel like it, right? There are times when we feel, the last thing I want to do this morning is to rejoice. Our mood is down. Our situation is out of hand. Our pain, our sorrow, our guilt is overwhelming. We have some beef with somebody else and you think, do you know what? You know, that's our focus. And it's so hard to worship God. Our feelings affect our worship. And it's in those times when we don't feel like we want to worship, then we have to go and worship. It's those times when we feel like, do you know what? I just can't, I don't feel like I want to go to church. It's those times when you need to get to church. Because that's when God is doing the work in your life. That's when he's going to meet with you and break them chains. That's when we kind of feel that moment. God says, God says, I've got you where you are. So here's my encouragement. If you ever feel I don't want to go to church today, get yourself to church. It's when you need it. Worship is way more than just a Sunday morning. You come and sing three songs on the guitar. Megan and the band are great, by the way. Don't take the, you know. Worship's more than just singing three songs on a Sunday morning and repeating a few choruses. I think that's why I like hymns. It's good to sing some hymns because, you know, in, there's so much, pro, you know, there's a lot of depth and, you know, the profound, what you're singing is what you're meaning. It's, it's, it's the words that are the worship. But it's also a lifestyle. And the disciples of Jesus are praising Jesus for entering into Jerusalem because it's their lifestyle. The Pharisees said, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, no. If they didn't, the creation itself would cry out and the Bible is just full of praise for God. The Bible is littered of images of creation crying out. Isaiah 55, verse 2. There's a song, when I sing as a kid, I don't know if you're singing over here, it goes, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. You know, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. You know? <laughs> uh, that's why I don't, <laughs> someone's loving it over there. That's why I'm not in the band, you know? You don't want me singing in the band. And the trees of the fields shall... Clap their hands, <laughs> right? Or Psalm 148. Psalm 148 is such an amazing psalm. It's literally everything created worshiping God. The heavens, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him from the heights above the angels, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the earth, the water, the hail, the stone, the clouds, everything. Praise the Lord. Creation isn't designed to worship God. We are designed to worship God. We're made in the image of God to worship God. If Jesus is all I've said he is and more, do we praise Jesus in the day to day? Not enough for all of us, for me, for all of us. What drives our worship? What drives our worship? And I've got three quick things I was talking to Alana. Alana, what drives our worship? I've <clears throat> got three things here. Salvation, the knowledge of salvation. Jesus Christ is our sal- savior. 
Jesus died on the cross. This is the beautiful thing about Easter time. We have communion this morning where we can worship God. You know, communion, Jesus died on that cross, which we'll look at next week, and that he, he rose again. And when he died on that cross, all of our sins were, were, were put on him. And when he rose again, we have new life in Christ. If we put our trust in him, he's our savior, he's our Lord. And that knowledge of eternal life and that indwelling life of Christ in us today can inspire us to worship Jesus as Lord. Revelation, when God reveals himself to us during the day today as I walk up a mountain, or I listen to a worship song in the car, or as we are praying in our quiet time, or in the morning, come join us. You know, in quarter to 10 on the morning, there's people praying in the prayer room. Come and join us. How do we respond to God in the ordinary on the day-to-day? Or are, are we like those dolphin trainers where we just take those moments where God is speaking to us and our lives for granted? And the last one is that we know when we trust in Christ, we've, we've become into a covenant. And it's like developing a sp- habit, a spiritual habit in our lives. Wake up in the morning and read our Bibles and pray. If I've, if I've come into a, a relationship with, with God, then we have to develop habits of spirituality, right? That routine. It might sound a bit boring, but it's that routine of worshiping God and praising God and getting into a routine. You might not be a routine person, but it's part and parcel of our worship. Read the Bible every day. Pray every night before you go to bed. Do your little five-minute devotion or whatever it is that you read. Come to Sunday church every week and Take communion as a part of worship. When you have dinner, you may watch TV. I don't know, and eat your dinner. That's fine. You may sit on the table. That's fine. But just thank God for the food that you've got. That routine. It's all part of our covenant worship with God. Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he is the object of our worship every day. The last thing quickly I want to just highlight to us before we go into communion is this. Jesus was coming to Jerusalem in verse 40. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones would cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. He wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus approaches Jerusalem and he starts to cry. Why? Not because of the city, but because he has compassion on the people. He notices that the people are not following the plans and purposes of God in him. And he knows that the leaders are not doing what they should be doing. And he has compassion and he cries. Jesus is passionate about you. He wants to know you. He wants to have that relationship with you and I, and that is amazing. Who is Jesus? He's our true Savior. He's worthy of our praise, and he's passionate that you know him. The central message of Easter is that God still loves us, and because of Christ, we can be forgiven. He came for one reason, 
1 Peter 3.18 tells us Christ died for sins once and for all to bring you to God. Let's not, not, let's not take Jesus Christ for granted this Easter time or any day of our lives. If he's our savior, then how do we respond in worship to him? One way is for us to take communion this morning. We have our communion here. And for those who are new or perhaps haven't given our lives to the Lord Jesus, communion is just this wonderful opportunity to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we have the bread and we have the wine. The bread just represents the fact that Christ's body was broken on that cross. And then his blood was spilt. And it says in Corinthians that it is a covenant relationship with God and us. How amazing is that? We can love God because we know that God first loved us. And he's passionate to keep loving us.